want to add my personal thanks for all those who uh, volunteered to teach downstairs. One of the things I'm most grateful for from this community uh, is that my kids are interested in Jesus. They don't always say, like, I want to go to church, I can't wait for church, but they're very interested in the Lord. And uh, I know that's not really me, because if you ask uh, my son Bo what he wants to do when he grows up, he'll either say a musician or not a preacher. So I, so I know it's, uh, and so I'm just really grateful I, that they are, they're interested in the stories of faith, and, and it's a part of them, and I really credit the teachers uh, for that. We are continuing our series now on uh, Psalm 23, we're in Psalm, we're going verse by verse. This is verse 5, or what I like to call, oh, Psalm 23 keeps going. That's, uh, that's where we're at. It's after the shadow of death, and it does. It keeps going, and it's, it's good. I'm excited to dive into it. But before we do, will you guys join me in prayer? Lord God. It is good to be here, gathered around your word. This morning, may we believe that it is you who speaks, that it is you who invites, that it is you who loves and calls us to new life. God, may we take that seriously. Hear what you have to say for us and leave your changed people because of it. I pray this things in Christ's name. Amen. One of my most distinct memories from growing up, I, I was like eight or nine, which is roughly the age of my two older boys, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and I was in my brief career year-round swimming uh, until I realized that's like the least fun thing to do possible. So uh, I was in a brief career, and uh, there was this one kid who you're swimming all the time, and there was this one kid, I still remember his name. His name was Richard, and he was a real, uh, well, bitcher. You know what I mean? He backed down. He 
he sort of gave up. I don't remember if he, can, if he you know, came back at me later, but I remember in that moment, I sort of uh, diffused the situation. I, I, I took the upper hand. And, and I think back, like, gosh, that was like a distinct memory of my childhood. That's like, oh, that was a moment. And in our culture, that is kind of like a feel-good story. It's like, the, I mean, you need like a more likable character than me, but like the underdog, you know, just getting tossed around, and then like all of a sudden finds the courage and the strength to stand up to the bully, and the bully gets shamed and thrown, it's like, yeah, I guess that's like a great movie. It's a great movie. But as an adult now, as a, as a person of faith, I started to think like, well, at what point would I become the bull? I'd punch you in the face, and it's sort of like the tables would be turned, but I'm not sure to uh, use a phrase of uh, scripture that the tables would be overturned. It would just sort of be with flip-flop positions. And, and then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, if my son found himself in a similar situation, I'm getting bullied. I might not encourage him to go punch somebody in the face, but encouraging him towards the way of Jesus. It almost feel like a disservice. Like it would be, I'd be asking him to do too much but have enough in return. I don't know, as Stanley Howells puts it, it's just very few people are rushing out to see movies about peace. Just like very few people who are interested or excited about living lives in peace. And it's hard to figure out the way forward. And this morning, this morning's text, I think, engages these questions and these issues. This, this verse that we're about to read is about God's hospitality and our enemies and what to do with God's provision. And I believe it invites us to live a different story. And so I invite you to hear God's word for each of us this morning. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And today, such a short verse, but it's packed so much of a bunch, I just like to almost take it phrase by phrase, kind of in small bites, just do it nice and slow. And so I want to begin with just, you prepare a table before me. That's what the psalmist declares. In essence, God is hospitable. For each of us, God has prepared a meal, a feast. There might be people who are attempting to take our meal, but every morning, God has provided for us love and grace. Our God is a God who invites, who gives us a place to rest, to feel at home. Now, usually the image that, that might come to mind when we read this verse is, is something more along the stories of the underdog, the, the feel-good story, where it's sort of like the psalmist is, is sitting there like the, the long table with one of those like Renaissance fair, like meat sticks, and he's like up at the privileged seat while his enemies are like cast out 
in the other room at the kids table with like steamed broccoli or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's what God does. This is who God is. But then we continue. And we see that God actually, he doesn't provide for us, isn't it? God doesn't provide and invite us to feast with him by vanquishing our enemies. This is not an addition by subtraction situation. No, the next phrase, it says this, it says that it happens in the presence of our enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God provides in the midst of those who are against us. I'm going to ask you a little bit of a question that makes it a little comfortable. Do you know who your enemies are? Do you? Would you ever name them? These days, most of our enemies that we might be comfortable naming, they're limited to, like, ideas or, or people we're not in a relationship with. Like, people who vote that way or believe this thing. Our enemy is, is that person on cable news or, or Putin or, or something like that. But I think that that's not taking our scripture seriously. I think an enemy, I think it may be better defined, is anybody who makes us feel that they need to change in order for us to flourish. That there is something about this person in our little orbit that they need to do differently so that we can have whole life. That's an enemy. Or, another way of putting it would be, an enemy is anyone who makes us feel like we need to disengage from them in order, even for a brief amount of time, in order for us to flourish, in order for us to have whole life. It's not simply people who we think are bad. It's people that are getting in the way of us being the people we were created to be. Which means I think, a lot of times, my kids are my enemy. I'm like, man, you guys need to change so that my life can flourish, okay? Stop losing things. And bring Bo back up for the sermon. It means my wife can be my enemy. Means my coworker can be my enemy. Means the people in the grocery store can be my enemy. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Sitting there with 15 items and they have 45, and you're like, come on! Don't know how to scan their products. My enemy. They need to change. And I don't want to cheapen the word, but I just think we do a disservice to not name who these people are. Because after all, Jesus does call us to love them. Jesus does call us to love these people. And even more than that, when we keep going into our next phrase, it says that you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You provide, you are hospitable, and you do so not by vanquishing my enemies, but in the presence of it. And at the end of the day, God showers us with so much hospitality, so much care, so much purpose, that our cup, it overflows. We've been blessed enough to be a blessing. 
Or to put it even more to the point, God has given us power. And that idea, it can make us nervous to think about. Because, because power, when someone says, hey, you have the power in this situation, what we think is about to happen is they're about to take something from us. Or when we think about other powerful people, we think about like a zero-sum game where they have, you know, taken from somebody else in order to gain more power. But just like it's important to name our enemies, I think it's important to name how God has given us power. In Second uh, Timothy, probably the most in like vicious uh, description of a people. Uh, in this one paragraph in 2 Timothy 3, you should read it, it's intense. Uh, but it ends by saying that there are these people, these people that he has described, have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And that you shouldn't have anything to do with them. That there is a real problem for people who have been given power, who have been given the chance to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but don't recognize where that came from. And I believe that God has done this. God has put our cup and, and made it overflowing. That we are able to give it away. And when one gives their power away faithfully, it is often sacrificial, but it is not a burden. Andy Crouch, he describes it like a, like a music teacher and a student, where he says that uh, uh, the teacher obviously has the power. He knows things. He is skilled. He is able to uh, tell the student what to do. But as he does, the student, and the student listens, the student gains power, not at the expense of the teacher. And so that at the end of the day, the ability to give power away faithfully and actually just increases the amount of power that one has. I feel like this is true for me when, I, when I'm doing baptism. I have a certain authority, a certain power. It's not because I've earned it or deserved it. It's a blessing from God. And yet, as we participate in it, the power increases. We're able to begin to be more fully a community of faith. And I would hope that you might recognize where God has not only provided for you, but your cup is overflowing. Where you have the power to be present with your kids. You've got the power to say a kind word to a family member, a neighbor. You have the power at work to advocate for someone, to stand up for them. You've got the power to give thanks to people. This is what our scripture declares. And I want to close just by asking you a couple questions, and I hope that you will uh, be able to wrestle with them this week. And the first one is this. Where has God set the table for you? Where has God set the table for you? Where has God actually provided for you? Or to put it in a slightly different way, where could you be a person of gratitude? More than you are. Can you think of a place in your life that I've I'm not saying that every need is met, everything is perfect, but I bet there is somewhere in your life where God has invited you to feast, and you can 
and feasting? That's the first question. And the second one is, who are your enemies? And what is your desire for your enemies? Is it that they are removed from your life? Or that you might love them more? Is it that they change? Or that you might love them more? And then finally, the last question is this. Are you being intentional? about where your cup overflows. Are you being intentional about that? Are you pointing that in specific directions? Are you saying, I understand that I have been given more than I need, and I want to be a person of faithful power who is, who is blessing other people, even in the midst of my enemies? For friends, we live in a complicated world. You know, we have battles in Ukraine, we got fights over abortion, we got hate-filled people shooting up grocery stores. And I know for a fact that when we can do nothing about those things directly, it feels like all we can do is hate. I get it. It feels like the only option is to, is to push against our enemies. But I have realized also that this is actually the exact reason it's so hard to encourage our kids in the way of Jesus. Because we can't be there in the same way to protect them. We can't actually do anything directly about the situation. If my kid was being bullied, I can't be there. And so I just want to do something to make it go away. But what Psalm 23, it reminds me of what, what I can do. And what I believe I can do, and I believe what each of us can do, is I can have a relationship with my kids where I give my power away. Where I can realize that the relationship I have with my sons is a gift from God. So that when my kids go into a difficult world, full of enemies, at the very least, they will know they are loved by their parents. They will know what I believe what I struggle with, struggle to live. I can't make their enemies go away, but I can show them who their Father in Heaven thinks they are. And friends, this is the way of Jesus. For the God we worship, who, who cares about every wrong, who hates every injustice, and who could have righted every single issue, could have done it all. But what he did was come as one of us. And he shared meals. He hosted people. He was hospitable. In the midst of his enemies, he loved people well. Everyone wanted him to get rid of Rome, and what he did was sit with sinners. And at the end of the day, his way was the way of life. And I hope you know that that's the way you were invited into. I hope you know that on the night of his arrest, 
Jesus acted out Psalm 23, 5. In the midst of his enemies, he knew that God had laid out a feast for him. And so he took bread, as I do now in his name, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, it's broken for you, take it and eat. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Christ took the cup and said, this is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take it, drink it, and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, as often as we eat of this bread, and we drink from this cup, we proclaim that God has provided a feast for us, a feast in the midst of brokenness, and invited us to participate so we might be his people out of God. That's why these are the gifts of God for us, his people. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, it is hard to live in a broken world and even, even harder to live in a broken world where we care about others. Our instinct is to get them to avoid brokenness, to run from enemies, to fight them so that they will go away. And yet you have shown us, shown us in our very life, that when we were your enemies, you didn't fight us, but you came and invited us to a meal. You forgave us and invited us into a new way of life. And so God, as we participate in this sacrament of grace, I pray that the bread and the juice might remind us of the table you have set before us that we are invited to feast in our cup overflow so we might be your people in the world. Pray the same thing, Christ's name. Amen.